If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to open to John chapter 19. We'll base there, but we're going to look at some passages throughout different areas of the Scripture. And I believe God will help us today because I think the message that we have today is a little bit different than we might think or a little unique to what we might think when we come into the story of the people of Easter. And as we consider the people of Easter, I want to point out to you that a survey that was done, a census that was done in 2020 in Pennsylvania revealed that there are 5.1 million homes in Pennsylvania, that is households, places where people say they live. And of that, 328,859 people are considered millionaires in our state. I want you to nudge your neighbor and I want you to say, are you one of them? Just go ahead and do it. Dave Ramsey, Dave Ramsey talks about the top 10 cars, the brands of cars that millionaires drive these days. And let's just look at the top five. Toyota, Honda, I drive one but I'm not a millionaire. Ford, when I was a kid that stood for found on road dead. I drove one and it was found on road dead, transmission. Lexus, Subaru. So when you see those people driving those cars as they leave the parking lot today, <laughs> you know that they may or may not be a millionaire. <laughs> and that's something. Dick Cheney was sending out invitations to people to come to a very meaningful fundraising party for George Bush. It was a $2,500 a plate dinner, and they hoped to have a lot of people, so he sent invitations around the nation. He sent one, I believe it was into Ohio, and as he sent this one out to Ohio, he sent it to a prison. Now, he thought he was sending it to one of the workers. He ended up, he was sending it to an inmate, and he didn't know that. So they said to the inmate, well, what are you going to do with that? He said, well, they're going to have to pull some strings for me to be able to go to that dinner because I can't get out otherwise. When we come to the burial of Jesus... It's a little bit different than it was during COVID because during COVID, we had a number of people that passed away and they were unable to have any kind of gathering or memorial service at all. And so we had to be very creative and very unique in the way that we would seek to honor those that had passed. Sometimes we were able to go to a cemetery, as a, for instance, and we would have what we would call the committal of the interment service. That's generally where you drive, the hearse leads away, and You've seen enough movies if you haven't been to a funeral to know that all the family follows behind. And once in a while, we'll go uh, to one of those, and there'll be a very small, very small following. Well, sometimes you go to them, and there are very large followings. You have a lot of people that are following along. When Jesus was buried, there are four people we know of that were there for his, for his burial. Four people that were there. Joseph, a guy from outside Jerusalem, and then Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a guy who came to Jesus at night, and he came to Jesus at night because he wanted to talk to Jesus. He really wanted to understand, and that's what this video depicted just a minute ago, the conversation Jesus had with Nicodemus during that time. And then there's Mary Magdalene, and Pastor Melanie spoke so ably last week about Mary Magdalene, the one from whom seven demons had been cast. Powerful story of a lady. And then there is another Mary, one of the ones she would have referred to the other day. These four people 
in the Easter story made up the burial team that was around Jesus whenever he was brought down off the cross. And so today I want to talk to those two men from this passage. And what I want to do is I want to ask, I want to ask three questions of these two and learn as they show us how a quiet commitment to Jesus can look. So the first question we ask is, who were these men? Who were these men? The scripture says to us, as I've already alluded, one of his name is Joseph. His name is Joseph. His surname is Arimathea. That means he came from the, from the area just outside of Jerusalem, just north and west of Jerusalem. So it identifies where he was. Matthew, in his gospel, writes it this way in verse 57 of chapter 27. He says he is a rich man and he was a disciple of Jesus Christ. He's not one of the 12, but he's among those people that will follow after Jesus. He is among the people who believe Christ was indeed the Messiah. He anticipated the kingdom of God. In Mark's gospel, chapter 15 and verse 43, it says he was a respected man of the Sanhedrin. That's like the Supreme Court of Judaism. It is he who would dissent and say, no, we should not bring charges against Jesus. This is not what we should do. But his ruling brethren would say, we should. In Luke chapter 23, verse 50 through 51, it describes him as a good and righteous man. Though he is a member of the council, he had not agreed with their plan. He had not agreed with their action. His religious pursuit had paved the way for him to be a member of this group. It was a very elite group, and he was among that group. And then there is Nicodemus. Nicodemus, if I was wanting to be a little humorous, I would say, call him Nick at night, because he came to Jesus at night. But most of you wouldn't catch what I was saying, so I won't say that. <laughs> he was a Pharisee, a religious order. He was very wealthy, the scripture would un uh, help us understand. He was an educated man. And he too was of the Jewish ruling council. He was an important man in the culture. He expressed his faith in Christ. When he goes to Jesus at night and he says, I, I want to know about the kingdom of heaven. And he says, I want to be able to go to heaven at the end. And in this moment, Jesus says, you don't really know what you're talking about. He says, oh yes, I do know what I'm talking about. He says, you've got to be born again. And he said, how in the world could I be born again? How can I enter into my mother's womb a second time? Sound like a fair question, right? And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You've got to be born from above. You've got to be born again. You've got to be able to give yourself to Christ. So when we come to Christ, we give ourselves to him. We trust him only as our salvation, and we are made new. And that is the passage where that phrase, born again, comes from, that has been popularized at different times in our culture. Verse 1 of John 3 says it this way. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And so these men are going to play incredible roles as the crowds of people have left the crucifixion of Christ. And there they are, these people of Easter that we have not heard a whole lot about up till now as it works with Christ. But we're going to see a lot about him. Some time ago, I was with some people, and they were being very, very uh, down in their conversation. They were criticizing somebody for having a lot of money. And I happened to know that person. 
but I didn't want to say a lot about that person to them. But I happen to know that person has been one of the most unbelievable and generous people that has been among people I've had the privilege of meeting. And I know that that person has given away millions of dollars. And yet that person lives in a very nice home. And that person drives a very nice vehicle. And I thought, my goodness, why are you letting your jealousy and your lack of spiritual awareness happen right now? God loves all people. And he loves you if you're among those millionaires of Pennsylvania. And I hope you are. Be cool if all of you or these households I referred to just a little bit ago. Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? What would you do if you had a million bucks to do with what you wanted to right now? One day I was talking to a, a lady in Missouri. And as I was talking to that lady, she expressed that she was feeling a little bit embarrassed because she was driving a new Cadillac. Beautiful car. She said, I feel embarrassed pulling up to church. I said, why should you feel embarrassed? God has blessed you with the ability to make money, and you do make money. God has also given you the spiritual acumen and knowledge to be generous with your money. And you give, and you give, and you give. Any cause you give to. You shouldn't feel embarrassed driving that Cadillac. You're living within your means. You live in a nice home and drive a nice car. I'm happy you do that. You should feel good about doing that. You're honoring God by living in the person he made you to be, by doing it how he wants you to do it. All of us don't live in a home like that. All of us don't drive a car like that, and it's okay. God has all of us as part of his family, and all of us can live in different ways. I'm just glad that God did not exclude the wealthy, because in this passage, it is a fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 9 of your Bible. It says, he, speaking of Jesus, was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. God used these rich people to make a difference in the life of Jesus. As a matter of fact, they cast lots over his robe. He had a robe that was a, an expensive robe. He had people that helped fund his ministry, and I thought it was amazing. When I started studying that out, I thought, why would they cast lots over his robe? They cast lots over his robe because he had expensive threads on. I thought, wow, that's pretty, pretty cool. These are Kohl's <laughs> clearance. <laughs> $27, baby. <laughs> but God loves all of us. The second question I ask is this. What did these men do? What did these men do? Joseph did something he had not been really known for. He spoke up in a way that he had not spoken up yet. And the way that he spoke up was this. Whenever he learned of the death of Jesus, and whenever Nicodemus would learn of the death of Jesus, they sprang into action. As a matter of fact, we cannot prove what I'm getting ready to say, but there's no reason to believe it's not true. Joseph had had a tomb prepared for Jesus' body near the cross. Usually you bury in your home area. He would have gone to Arimathea. But he has his tomb prepared near the cross. These tombs are different. They have an opening, of course. But they also have a slab where they will lay the person on the slab. Kind of like a, a rock. 
and they'll lay the person there. They'll wrap their body up in linen cloths to mummify them. They'll bring spices to keep the smell down when their body begins to deteriorate. As a matter of fact, if you study when Herod the Great died, they had a bunch of people walking around with open spices to keep the smell down to preserve his body as long as they could. Many, many people. So we understand something about these guys here, that they wanted to do something really, really special for Jesus. John 19 and 38 puts it this way. It describes Joseph of Arimathea as a follower of Jesus, though he had kept secret for fear of the Jews. Some of you are secret agents of Jesus. I didn't really know there could be such a thing, but I guess there is. They had been secret agents of Jesus up to this point. And they followed after Jesus. Matthew 27 and 60 says this, that he had a fresh tomb made for Jesus. And Joseph, who has not been outspoken yet, who has not really shown everybody his true colors, could be standing in that tomb with Nicodemus. And when they hear Jesus from the cross, because they're close enough within earshot, the tomb is not far. When they're close enough, they hear Jesus say, it is finished. He gives up the ghost. He lays down his life in death. And when he gives up the ghost and lays down his life in death, get a load of this, they would be able to hear what he is saying, and they would spring into action. Joseph said, I'm going to go to Pilate. I'll get the body. Nicodemus says, I'll go get the spices. I'll go get the linens. I'll be back. Meet you here in a little while. Joseph takes off, and he goes before Pilate, and he says, I would like the body of Jesus of Nazareth. Pilate was surprised because Jesus had just been crucified that morning. It's in the afternoon now, around 3 o'clock, and here, here comes Joseph. He said, I'm surprised he's already dead. A lot of times they would break a guy's legs right about here, and they would cause him to sag on a cross so they would suffocate because they couldn't push up to get another breath. And so he said, wow, I'm surprised he's already dead. Let me tell you something. The Bible says in the Gospel of John, Jesus has a power to lay down his life in death. He has a power to take up his life. And that's exactly what he did. He took up his life. He laid down his life. And so he says, well, he's dead, and I'll get his body. He said, yeah, you can go in and have him. Now he goes back, and he's coming back with the body to get the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus comes back. And your Bible says that he has, in John 19 and 39, that was read a minute ago, it said he brought back 75 pounds of spices. First off, I just want to say that Nicodemus must have been a pretty strong dude, or he had a lot of servants. Because if he's going to be carrying 75 pounds of spices, that's a lot of weight, carrying 75 pounds around. So he comes back. Now I did some calculating to figure out what in the world this meant, Don, and here's what it means. He was bringing between $150,000 and $200,000 worth of spice to put on the body of Jesus. He understood who Jesus was. I want to be part of your kingdom. You must be born again. How do we do that? He is part of Jesus' kingdom because he knows Jesus is no ordinary person. And he is bringing 75 pounds of the spices to put on his body to cut the stink down. I would get blessed thinking about it because I know you would only use that much for royalty and dignity, dignitary. You're not going to use that just for an average person. When an average person dies, what do you do? You leave them on the cross. But Jesus wasn't an average person. And then they had a trough right in front of the cross, uh, the uh, tomb. And John had had it set up to where there would be a big stone there that 
he could just move, though it was very, very heavy, that it could just be moved easily right into place to cover up the door of the tomb. Why did he do that? He did that for several reasons. He wanted to keep the crows out. He wanted to keep the wild dogs out. He wanted to keep all the buzzards out. When you hung on a cross, they would eat your flesh down to the bone. Eat your eyes, all that stuff. Yeah, gross. But they dignify the body of Jesus, taking him from the cross, washing him up as quickly as they could because Sabbath is coming at 5 o'clock. He dies at 3. We've got to get this done so we can do the Sabbath. Nicodemus and Joseph have touched a dead body. They're not going to be able to honor the Passover because they have defiled themselves by touching death. Can't do it. So what's going to happen? They get his body down and in a rush job, go to Pilate, can have the body, go get the spices, come back to the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, they say, we'll help you. And so they do a quick cleanup, a quick wrap up, and a quick spice up. And they roll the tomb in front to keep everything out. So nothing would mess with the body of Jesus. This is why Mary and the other ladies would go back home and say, we're going to just take some more spices because we want to bring our spices too. And that's why on Easter morning, they come back saying, who's going to roll away the stone? And they're bringing spices to anoint the body of Jesus. Max Lucado says this. I think it's good. He says, the high society of Jerusalem wasn't going to look too kindly on two of their religious leaders bearing a revolutionist. But for Joseph and Nicodemus, the choice was obvious. And besides, they'd rather save their souls than their skin. The apostle Paul who used to persecute people for being Christians, became a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. And when he became a follower of Jesus Christ, at one point in the book of Romans, chapter 1 and verse 16, your Bible says it this way, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. What did these men do? They took care of the body of Jesus. They leverage their wealth to make a difference. Then I want to ask the last question, why did these men do it? John chapter 7, verse 50 through 52. Why did they do it? Well, Joseph of Arimathea, he had been moved by Christ and had become convinced he was indeed the Savior and the Messiah. And he said, I want to pay honor and I want to pay tribute to my Savior. This is why he would do this. Why would Nicodemus do this? Nicodemus had stood before the Sanhedrin and he had said to them in John chapter 7 verse 51, you should not do what you're doing. Our law says he's got to have the right to a hearing. He's got to have the right to witnesses. But you're just taking him in. You're just saying, we're going to be the judge and the jury. We're going to go ahead and put him to death. But you haven't even allowed him to. And he is one of the last people standing by Jesus whenever you come to this moment. He would stand by Jesus now, something is very interesting in my way of thinking. The disciples have all said, Lord, we'll follow you. We'll follow you to the end. Peter says, I'll never deny you. We will never deny you, Jesus. And of course he does. So now you don't see any of the disciples. Why don't you see the disciples now? They're in hiding. Why are they in hiding? You know why they're in hiding? Because they're afraid the same thing that happened to Jesus might happen to them. And they want to run because they were scared. I'm not going to throw a dart at them. Because I'd have probably been scared too. It doesn't take that much to scare most of us from our faith. <laughs> Just a thought. Do it in free of charge.
But Nicodemus and Joseph have been pretty well quiet. Men of wealth, men of title and position, they have said very little. But now when all the disciples who have said much are hidden, they step up to the plate and say, you can count on us through thick and thin. We're here. We're all in. Are you all in? Are you all in? Tradition holds, not the scripture, but tradition holds that Nicodemus suffered persecution from hostile Jews and that he lost his position among the Sanhedrin for identifying with Jesus. What will you do with Jesus? The Tin Boom family, they had a watch company. I've referred to them a lot. I was impressed at an early age by their story, both their movie and reading the book. The great Mr. Tin Boom, a clock repairman, had the business running in his front of the house there, and his daughters, Corey and Betsy, helped him. When the Holocaust started happening and Jews were being rounded up around the world in a savage, brutal, dishonorable moment of history, They found enough building materials and a builder who could come to their house and build the false wall that you see pictured here on the screen right now. They built this false wall and whenever the guards would come, because they had guards, Gestapos, out in the community, they would see the goings and comings as they were managing everything. Leave that picture up, please. They would manage everything. They built that as a false wall and what they would do is they would turn mattresses over that the people had been laying on so the cold side would be up and the warm side would be underneath. You get inventive whenever pressure's on, right? And they would put these guys in this false wall area, a wall before another wall, and they would have them hide quietly there. Eventually they were found out. And when they were found out, old Mr. Tin Boom was hauled off to the men's concentration camp. Corey and Betsy were hauled off not Jews, but protecting them because they believed it was time to step up and be counted on. They were hauled off to a concentration camp, eventually went to a place called Ravensbrück. If you've studied history at all, Ravensbrück was brutal. I think there were three people that lived through Ravensbrück that were part of Corey's time. Her sister Betsy died. Her dad would die. Corey lived because they mistakenly expelled her, and she lived to tell the story like I'm telling you now. They decided it was time to step up. Corey said this, When we are powerless to do a thing, it is a joy when we can come and step inside the ability of Jesus. I love that. Go to another place. We're in Warsaw. Now it's a zoo. On any given normal day, you'd like to take your children to the zoo. How many of you have been in the zoo? I see they let you back out. <laughs> They're keeping some. So, this place was right next to a place that they turned into a Jewish concentration camp. Despicable, horrible, evil to ever do that to other humanity. I say that because I want this generation to know it in case you've never heard it. It's a terrible thing. 
genocide, killing people like this. It's crazy. It must never be done. And this was absolutely ridiculous what was happening. But the Zabinsky couple lived next door, Jan and Antonina. And you've seen their story, and you've watched their movie, and maybe you've read their story. This is a picture of them. Not a picture of the movie, this is a picture of them. They decided they had to do something. Some of the animal cages were open and they could do stuff with them now. Some of the secret places of the zoo. The, the, the concentration camp next door was a terrible place. They thought, what could we do? The, the Nazi communists had put, had put Jan in charge of the zoo and all of the parks to just take care of them. So what they did was they started raising pigs. And when they started raising pigs, the Nazis thought it was quite humorous. Ha <laughs> ha, they'll raise these pigs. But what was happening is they would butcher the pig and they would haul the pork next door to the concentration camp to keep the Jews alive that would be able to eat them. Jews don't eat the pork, but they do in this moment. And then what they would do is when they could, they would smuggle one back out and they would put them in the pig pen area so the, so the concentration camp guards would not even suspect a thing. They rescued 300 people because it was time to listen. It was time to step up. Some of you have resources. Some of you have opportunity. You have title. You have position. Your voice echoes and reverberates. Some of you have finances that, that reach out into some, and, and, it's, and it's time, your time to do something. Dr. Darrell and Dr. Terry McCarthy, both doctors, both professors, cousins of ours, Daryl has been here before. We hope to have him here someday and maybe Terry to speak to us. They've done professorships around the world. In Lithuania, which is not far from the Ukraine area that's being heavily hammered by the invasion that's happening now. As that is going on, a number of the people have fled. 40,000 refugees have gone over into Lithuania. Terry having been there, Daryl having spent time teaching in Ukraine, she in Lithuania, she felt we've got to do something. What to do? What to do? They live in Olathe, Kansas now, one of the wealthiest counties in the nation, in the very top few in the nation. What are we, what are we to do? What should we do? This is what I'll do. I'll pack suitcases, not with lectures, not with books. I'll pack suitcases with kids' medicine because there was a lot of hoarding that took place over in Lithuania because people said, no, we're getting ready to get in a bunch of people here, we can't. So they started hoarding their medicines that were available. She said, I'll take a lot of other products that they would not be able to get because they're gonna be hoarded. She gathered up 150 pounds worth of goods like that and she went over and she said, I am a grandmother of several children now. What will I do? I will hug the people. I will wipe their tears. I will welcome them. I will make the bed, I will fold the sheets, I will cook the food, I will do whatever I need to do to show the love of our God. There comes a time when it's time for you and me to step out of the norm, to step out of the rhythm of routine, to be able to say, God, I don't know exactly what's happening here. I have never done this before. I've never buried a Messiah. I've never helped a suffering Jew. 
I've never gone over to the refugees of another country in another place and helped them when their lives were on the line and their stories were so mangled they didn't even know where to begin. But Lord, I'll be your hands, I'll be your feet, I'll be your ears, I'll be, I'll be your tears, I'll hug the people, I'll love the people. My time will be your time. My resources, your resources. And Lord, the vault is open. What would you have me to do? Joseph seemed to hear from Isaiah, hey, he'll be buried among the wealthy. Joseph, it's your turn to stand up. You have the connections. Make it happen. Nicodemus hears the call as if from Isaiah 600 plus years before. He'll be buried among the rich. Nicodemus knows it's his turn to step up. He's got position. He's got title. He has means. And he stands up to be counted on. And he says, I'll help with the body of Jesus no matter what they do to me. And you and I, no matter our title, our position, and no matter our resources and everything else about us, our education and all the other stuff, are never promised comfort. But we may be promised a very unusual, if not awkward moment where we will have to say to God, I will do what you want me to do, when you want me to do it, how you want me to do it, in a way that pleases you, that is completely outside the rhythm of who I am right now. We've gone through these messages about the people of Easter. Many of you have watched our messages. Many of you have come and filled these seats and listened along. You've heard about Simon. You've heard about Peter. You've heard about Judas. You've heard us talk about Mary, Magdalene. And somewhere through this series, I have a feeling that some of you would say, God spoke to me. God spoke to me. What did he say? What did he say to you? And in kindness, I ask a follow-up question. What will you do in response to what he asked you or said to you that he wants you to do? It's quiet in here. That's Holy Spirit quiet. This is what I think would be pleasing for us to do at this moment in a service. I think it would be appropriate as we conclude this message series of the people of Easter to give an opportunity for people who just want to seal the deal with God in some area that he's talked to you about by opening up the front to invite you to come and stand here or you can kneel if you want but to stand here and you just say, God, you have, you have ministered to me. I have heard you. And in whatever area he has spoken to you, just say, Lord, I say yes to you. And then when you leave here, keep the yes wide open. Have you ever done business with God? 
You don't have to come forward. But I think it would be appropriate. Pam, go ahead to the piano, please. Our musicians and singers are going to sing a song. It's not to manipulate your emotions, but it's just the pathway for you to move from where you are to here. And if no one comes, that's okay. During COVID, a couple things happened to me. I realized, like I did on April the 8th, 1995, when my dad died, that my life is a vapor. My grandparents had died, and I thought, well, sheesh, okay. My grandparents died. They're old. They're supposed to die. But it hurt. Then my dad died at 67, and I said, I don't like it. I was 31 years old, and I said, God, I disagree with your decision. But I will still serve you. And the next Sunday, I came back and I preached at the pulpit and haven't looked back. During COVID, it really worked me over. Whenever I did the funeral for several people, they were my friends right here at this congregation. And going down to Becky's worked me over because I realized when all of Americana is taken from you, you improvise and you go get the oil and you go get the towel and you do whatever Jesus is saying. And you say, God, I'm right here and I'm, I'm yours, whatever you have in mind. And I'll tell you what I've done. I've done a lot more, a lot more reading the Bible and a whole lot less reading other books. And I've spent a good bit more time like this at my house and even in my office in there on my knees saying to God, I don't know what you're saying, but I want you to know I love you and I feel you. I'm yours. So would you stand with me as I believe God is speaking to even others that your sister has come today. And if God has spoken to you somewhere along the way, it's your turn. You need to step out. It's your turn. You need to just come on. I'm not going to ask you why you're here. It's none of my, you're with God. You're doing business with God. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be bashful. I'm already up here. I'm already here. I'm here. And others are joining right now. Would you just sing and let's just open our heart to God. There's not going to be a big microphone moment where we have to tell our testimony. But if you would like to, it's your turn to just step out and to connect in that area. Whatever it is that he said, hey, it's you and me. Let's get on with this. Let's get on with this. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Jesus.
Father, it takes courage to stand here and do as I am right now, just standing here and saying, Lord, I'll be your servant. I'll say what you want me to say. Lord, you have guided me as I have spoken to leave some things out and not say them, so I didn't. You have led me to say some other things that maybe I didn't even have planned, but you've spoken to me while I preached and I've tried to say them. Lord, you have done your work in our hearts here today. So I know that you're here, and I know that you're speaking. And Lord, we have so many wonderful people who have been listening to you and have responded through this way today. I thank you that we have this moment to hold in our hand as time slips through our fingers like sand. And a writer said, yesterday's gone and tomorrow may never come, but we have this moment. Lord, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Redeem areas that have been lost, Lord. Mend that which has been broken. Lord, help us to forgive ourselves where we must. And areas you're calling us to move well beyond where we've been, Father, we say yes to you. It's the unknown of Joseph and Nicodemus and Mary. But you called, we answer, we're your servants, you have us all. And in, in total surrender and sanctification of the soul, we say, God, have your own way in us. Have your own way in us. If you want to do more through us than ever before, Lord, we say yes. However you want to do it, whenever you want to do it, wherever you want to do it. May your hand rest upon us. May your power flow through us. May we never draw undue attention to us. May we always lift up the name of Jesus. For the eternal work that you're doing right now in the souls of these and myself and others that are watching today, I want to speak to you for a minute if you're watching. Don't turn it off until you sense the Holy Spirit releasing you from this moment. Stay on and say yes to him. He's met with you there at your place. You sense him. Respond through obedience to him. And he'll do for you what you can do for you. Lord, for your ministry and presence in this place, we give you thanks. You are our way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in our darkness. So I pray you would give each one of us the light we need today. In your name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.